So today uh, we are continuing our Proverbs series. For those of you that haven't met me, uh, my name is Justin. I am the pastor here. I would love to uh, meet you and meet this entire section after church today. Uh, because I'm just excited that y'all are here today to, uh, to be in church. Um, and today we, we've been doing a three-week series, mini-series within our larger series. We've been in Proverbs uh, for a long time now, probably three months, uh, a little over three months. Uh, but we've been doing this mini-series on family. And two weeks ago, we talked about the husband and the wife. Uh, last week, we talked about parenting. Uh, and this week, we we're going to talk about lust. Uh, because this is, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't consider this as part of the topic of family, but uh, it is. Uh, it's such an important topic. Uh, whether you are single or married, it doesn't matter, uh, because this has profound effects on your life, on your upbringing, on uh, how you act and who you are. Uh, and what's why I wanted to dedicate a sermon to this uh, is, first of all, that Proverbs dedicates three chapters uh, to the topic. Uh, and that is almost 10% of the entire book. It's from chapters 5, 6, and 7 that are dedicated to this topic. And this is also, uh, you know, this is a heavy topic. So I'm just warning you, pre-warning you now. Uh, if you have a, a teen or a tween uh, here, um, I'm going to tell you now there's going to be mature content that we're going to talk about uh, today. I really believe that uh, scripture gives us real practical understandings of our lives. Uh, and I'm just, I'm letting you know, if you want to send your, your kids to our uh, Z Kids, it's down the hall before we get into. Uh, one of the ushers down here can show you where it is. Uh, but I will let you know, um, the first time I was exposed to pornography, I was in fifth grade, which meant I was 10 years old. So I don't think there is a soon enough time that you can talk about this topic. Um, and because of that, I know this topic very well. Uh, most of my childhood and my adult life has been spent struggling around the issue of lust. Uh, and so what I'm going to be talking to you about today is not from an area of condemnation. This is not an area of beating you over the head, but this is you joining me in my journey and my understanding of scripture on this topic. Uh, as I've had to deal with God and God has had to deal with me on this topic over and over and over again. Uh, and so it's, it's one that is dear to my heart uh, and that I've, I've prayed over and thought through uh, not to preach today, but to walk it out in my own life. Um, so again, that, that, was my, that was my warning, uh, because we're going to talk about some mature things today uh, that are incredibly important. So what Proverbs speaks about lust from the angle of adultery. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to define that word, and there's a reason why I didn't call this sermon topic adultery. Instead, I called it lust, because Jesus does something in Matthew chapter 5 that we're going to read where he changes the definition of this word, uh, and he changes it uh, in a sense, he doesn't really change it, but he says this is really what the heart of the matter is. This is, when, when we talk about this topic in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying this is what we are really talking about. And so whenever we read this word in the Old Testament, now we have a deeper, more full lens to talk about it and to understand it. 
And so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 30, to see how Jesus uh, shows the true definition of this word in the heart of the law. Uh, when you think about the law, there is the letter of the law, and then there is the heart of the law. The letter of the law is something that you follow to say, well, I, I want to follow this to the T, and I don't want to break it. I'm going to stand on the line. But the heart of the law is, what was the intention of this law created for? What, what was the meaning behind it? And so uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us what the heart of the law is. It says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So last week I got to share some stories about my freshman year in college. I'm going to give you a couple more, one more freshman story. Uh, you know, I was in one of my classes that I was in, I had a professor that was very antagonistic towards the Bible. And one of the things that he said, and this is, you'll find this in education over and over again, uh, is the Bible never says that you cannot watch pornography and you cannot masturbate. This is fine for you to do. And he says that the church uses this term, uh, the sin of Onan. Now, I'm not going to explain what that is, but you can read about it in the Old Testament uh, if you want to look that up after. And they use this to say that you can't do these things. But if you read this scripture, it has nothing to do with that. So it is fine to do these things. And I raised my hand, uh, you know, like a good student. And I said, Professor, I agree with you. If you read the story of Onan, it has, uh, you can... If you make a case against these things, it's, it's a very long, stretched case. But there's a verse that you are not considering. And I read to him the verses that I just read to you now. And he says, okay, I understand porn, but it says nothing about masturbating there. And I said, Professor, what do you think about when you do that? Are you thinking about peanut butter? <laughs> he said, no. And I said, thank you. You're not. Exactly. That is where does this lead you to go. And I said, let's read further because a lot of people read verse 27 and they never read further. All I got to say is Jesus said this when he was talking about lust. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Some of y'all never read that in context before. <laughs> Am I blowing your mind right now? Good. This is a huge topic nowadays, and it's, yeah, everybody, it's okay. We're all adults here. Don't feel awkward. It's fine. Y'all act like you never heard those words before. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some stats with you. I've been doing stats the last few weeks because I feel like it's important to understand kind of what is going on in culture. Three of the top ten websites in the world by traffic are porn sites. Three of the top ten. Here's what blew my mind. These are the sites that are being beat by the porn sites. Wikipedia, Twitter, Instagram, Bing, which is a search engine, and Netflix. All of these sites have less traffic than three of the major porn sites in the world. That is mind-blowing to me. 
but not really. This is not just a man's issue. A lot of people think that this is, lust is a topic that just men talk about, uh, but this is not a topic that just men struggle with. This is a topic for men and women. Here's the stats. 30% of all traffic to leading porn sites is women. And year over year, that is rising by about 3 to 5% every single year. That means that, they are, that women are not only consuming this more, but they are consuming it more than new men are starting to consume it. Parents, this is for you. The second most searched keyword on the top porn site in the world was Fortnite. You all laughing at that, but it's sad and true. Animated porn has been growing because of the access to CGI. Fortnite, if you don't know what that is, that is one of the most popular games uh, right now with teenagers and young adults. Uh, the guy who created Fortnite in nine months went from having a regular six-figure salary to being a billionaire. And this was about two years ago. And now for all of 2018, uh, it was the second most searched keyword on the top porn site in the world. So this is affecting the families dramatically. What I believe is that porn is essentially like tobacco was 40 or 50 years ago. That if you look at how tobacco was, everybody was doing it, it was fine, there were no true clinical studies, they were just starting to come out about it, how it was poor for your health and not good, and it was, it was fine to have early access, you know, parents would let their kids smoke cigarettes, and it, it was, it, a lot of it was cultural, and we see people doing it at an early age, but as it matured in the industry, what happened, a lot of studies started coming out, and parents started realizing, people started realizing, hey, this is actually really bad for us. This can cause cancer. This destroys the insides, right? All of these things that we know that, like, they literally put on the package of cigarettes, like, this will kill you, right? This is, like, literally what they put on the package of cigarettes. And I believe that what the era that we are in now is that same stage that tobacco was in back then, that we have accepted this, we've allowed it into our lives, we've allowed it into our families and into our homes, but as you see, the research is starting to steadily come out about how this will not only destroy your home, but lead you to destruction personally, because this has actually been proven to be more addictive than alcohol and tobacco. Watching porn has been proven to be more addictive than alcohol and tobacco. So what I love about Proverbs is it gives us a lot of wisdom to talk about this topic. We're going to start, we're going to read through chapters 5, 6, and 7, not the whole things. I kind of picked out a few verses that I really felt was good wisdom for us to land on today. But I want us to just start off in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So what we're about to read is from the perspective of a father writing to his son, giving wisdom to his son, and he's saying, listen, what I am about to explain to you is really important. Let Give your ear to me. Lend me your understanding because this is going to set you up for your life. This is an important topic to talk about. And so as we read through this today, 
I want to say the same thing to us, that as we talk, as we have wisdom on this topic, give over your ear, give over your understanding, because this is important. It is a taboo topic in many homes. We will not talk about it. Parents won't talk about it with their kids. Friends won't talk about it with each other, especially in the church. There is so much shame around this topic that people will not open up about it, and it has created just this culture of silence and shame and condemnation that I pray at the end of today that we can break that and that we can learn to talk about the things that we are going through and not have so much shame around it. So the first piece of wisdom that we see here is do not listen to smooth words because they have not considered the chosen path that they lead you to. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 6, it says this. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, or hell. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. The first piece of wisdom, as we talk about lust, is there are a lot of sweet-talking people out there, guys and girls. And when they come to you and they want you to sin with them, what they won't say to you is, hey, let's destroy our lives together. Right? That's, that's not a good pitch. If you're in sales, you, you don't go in with a pitch like that. Because th this is what this proverb is talking about. Essentially, there's somebody that has been trained in good marketing and sales, and they are coming to you, and their words are dripping with honey. They, you, ever been, you ever been scammed when you thought you bought something really good and then just realized you just ruined your bank account or uh, this product was garbage and they're not accepting refunds, and it was like this little sign by the corner that said no refunds allowed? That's what this proverb is like right here, that they will come with smooth words, dripping with honey. Think about all the great excursions, the things that we can do together in secret, all of this great. But what will happen is that those words have not considered the path that they will lead them to. A lot of times, consequences are never thought about on either side. Right? You may, I, I heard this so many times. Oh, but he loves me. No, he doesn't. He wants you. There's a difference. You know, I remember growing up as a teenage boy, hormones going crazy, uh, and just thinking, not really understanding the difference between lust and love. I just thought my desire, the goosebumps, all these things that people talked about, this was, this was love, was I, I wanted to do whatever possible to be with a woman. And when you first figure out what love is, is, is that love actually considers the other person first before yourself. See, lust says, I want my desires to be fulfilled. Lust says that I will get what I want at all costs, even if it damages you, as long as I have satisfaction, as long as I get what I want then it doesn't matter what the repercussions are to you. But love says, actually, I consider you first. I consider your well-being. I consider your holiness. I consider your body. I consider your mind. I consider your wholeness, your desires before my own. And that's where lust and love begin to separate. But a sweet-talking person will come to you, and they will say what they want to manipulate your heart so that they can get the desires of their heart. 
With porn, we see this in the, in, the, in the industry right now. Teachers and entertainment are teaching that this is okay. They will say things like this. This is good in health ed class. I have health ed teachers, and they will say this is part of the curriculum. Now it's even worse than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, they were still teaching this, that they tell you, go home, watch porn, go home, masturbate. This is good for you. We want you to release these things. We want you to do this. It is healthy for you to do this. This is what education, this is what entertainment is teaching you. If you look at Netflix nowadays, if you look at the shows that are being geared towards teens, these are the messaging, this is the messaging that's coming out in these shows. This is the sweet talk that has not considered the outcome. The addictive effects that you are now literally creating a generation of teenagers that are addicts. And I always I equate pornography to this. It's, it's like you are an alcoholic or, or a drug addict, and you're trying to get clean, but someone leaves a line of Coke on your desk every day. Someone gives you a little flask and puts it in your pocket, and you carry it with you everywhere that you go. That's, that is what it's like to be a porn addict now, because the access to it is unbelievable. You do not have to get up, walk to something, walk to a store, walk to your dealer, whoever it is, to receive it. You literally have access to everything you can possibly imagine right here in your pocket. And so what we are doing is we are setting up an entire generation with one of the most addictive habits that has ever been found and we're setting them up for life we have not considered where it will go and what this is doing is it's creating unrealistic expectations in teens and in adults right the stories that you hear of of men coming home and telling their wives well i want to do this well where did you get that from well, I saw it in a video. I saw it in, in, in a porn. They maybe not tell you that, but that's where it came from. And what you're doing is you're trying to take your wife or your husband and you're subjecting them to what an actor does that is paid for it, where you have cut an action. It's like, no, let's do this. Let's try this. Let's do this. So you are, they are professionals at this. And what they do is unrealistic. And then we bring that into the home and we bring shame upon our spouse. And we force our spouse into doing things that they did not sign up to do. This destroys self-esteem because you have young men and young women looking at this and they're looking at professionals and they're saying, well, I can't ever live up to that. Or maybe somebody else wants me to live up to this. These are now my expectations of what I have to look like, what I have to do, what I have to measure up to. This is exactly what I have to do. And that begins to slowly but surely tear down the self-esteem. And the younger you are, the more susceptible you are to that because you're, you know, scientifically, your mind is still being formed until the age of 25. And so think about it. I was 10 years old when I was first exposed to this. At 10 years old, there was no such thing as internet. I know, it's hard to believe that. There's no such thing as internet when I was 10 years old. I mean, it, I think it existed, but like, no one ever heard of Google didn't exist yet. None of these things existed yet. For, for me, my first exposure was I was over my friend's house, and he, we went into his brother's room, and he thought he was putting on The Simpsons because his brother had taped over things. And, you know, we went to the second row of tapes, pulled out a tape, put it in, and it was not The Simpsons. <laughs> but I remember that moment vid vividly because it altered the trajectory of my life. 
And imagine when, at that age, what it was like, and now today's day and age, the accessibility of it, where we're giving our kids smartphones at younger and younger ages, what that does. Parents, you cannot allow your kids unfiltered access to the internet. You can't. What you are doing, what you are giving them when you give them a laptop or you give them a phone that has no restrictions on it, is you are giving them a window into a dark and dangerous world. As an adult, as a pastor, I do not have unfiltered access to the internet. I'm letting you all know that right now. That my accountability partner get, will get an email if I go to a website that looks suspicious. And if, as a grown adult and pastor, I need this, how much more do we need to set this up with the younger generation? We have to realize what is happening in the world, that even if your kid is a good kid, guess what? They're going to have friends that are going to be sending them links, that are going to be sending them things. You're not going to be able to shelter your kids, and I don't think we should shelter our kids from the world, but... What we can do is we can provide a safe environment at home and with the gadgets and the things that we give them. It's really, it's like you're leaving a drug on your kid's desk and you're closing the door and you're locking the door and you're saying, don't do that. It's going to feel really good, but don't do it. I'm going to lock the door for you. I'm going to close it. You have privacy now, but don't do that. Right? We are asking them to get into these habits and to do these things. And when we look at culture, culture is not looking at the long game and how their smooth words are choosing a path for us that is leading to destruction. The second piece of wisdom that we see here is do not even go around the person that tempts you. In verse 7, it says this, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. There is this key understanding in Scripture. Flee temptation. Run from it. Do not go near it. Don't go next to it. And it, it says, not even don't go next to the person, but don't even go next to their door. Meaning don't walk on their block. If you know somebody that tempts you is on a certain train car, go to the other side of the train. Don't go in their car anymore. Flee from it. Run from it. Here, here's the truth. You are not strong enough. The day that we begin to trust our flesh, to trust in our own strength, is the day that we succumb to temptation. I mean, I, I hear it. No, I'm good, Justin. I can talk to her. I can talk to him. Sometimes the excuses are real dumb. Like, I've been a Christian for a long time. I can handle myself. You're like, brother, sister, that's, you should know that you can't handle yourself the longer that you've been in. What Bible you've been reading? That's not my Bible. My Bible says that the more I understand about Jesus, the, the more I understand about my weakness, not the more I understand about my inherent strengths. See, they're, nowadays it's not going by their door, it's DMing them on Instagram, 
sliding into their Facebook messages, not blocking their number when they are obviously coming after you. Oh, it's a little flirtatious. It's nothing heavy. It's not bad. Yes, it is. Because the more you pass by their door, the more likely that you will give your honor to them. If there is a time and a place that you usually find yourself wrapped up in temptation that you have a hard time handling, maybe give in to. A good thing to do, so let's say it's with porn, that you find, man, this time during the week or this time during the day, I usually find myself constantly giving in to this. Change your patterns. Stop going next to that doorway. Say, okay, if, if I'm alone at this time at work or at this time at night or at this time in the morning and I find myself doing this at this point, I can't be alone during this time. Set yourself up so that you don't walk by that door anymore. Set yourself up so that it is not a temptation that you see every single moment, that you walk by every single day. Look at the patterns that you have in your life and start asking yourself, Jesus, how, how do I break this? How do I break this pattern? How do I break this habit? A lot has to do with time and place because what happens is psychologically, when we set up a routine or a habit in our life, sometimes when we're trying to break that habit, just the smell of a certain place or the memory of a certain place or the, the, the look of a place will catch us back in our feelings and lead us easily into temptation and we have a harder time fighting it. If there's a certain room, don't go into that room anymore. Because you would think, no, you know, I need that place, or I need to be here at that time. Well, guess what? Is it worth your salvation? Jesus said it is better to go into heaven without an eye, without an arm, than it is to go to hell with everything. And let me tell you something. You know, I hear this a lot. If, if you lust after somebody, it's not their fault. We got we to gotta clear this up. Because, and especially in church culture, there's some craziness where it's like, well, did you see what she was wearing? Probably have heard that before. Listen, I don't want to talk about her clothes. I want to talk about your eyes. Because Jesus didn't say, go cover that person up if you're lusting. He said, rip out your own eye. If that's what it takes for you to walk somewhere without doing the things that you do in your head, then rip out your eye. Don't put a blanket over her. Don't say, well, she deserved it. Because we have these crazy things going on nowadays where it's really, we have not learned the fruit of self-control. And what we want to do is we want to blame others. We want to take the responsibility off of our own heart, off of our own shoulders, pass it off to somebody else. Why? What does that do? Because psychologically then it's okay if I'm doing it. It's their fault anyway. I can't control it. Can we use a little bit more modesty? Yes, but we're not getting into that topic right now. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, does Jesus, <laughs> it's the truth of it right here, that say, listen up, that was heralding what I'm about to say. 
When you stand before judgment, no one's going to be standing there with you. You're not going to say, well, here's exhibit A. This person coming to me, this is your fault. No, Jesus is going to ask you, why did you do that? He's not going to look at somebody else and say, why did you make him do that? The third piece of wisdom is guard your heart. In chapter 6, verse 25, it says, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Those are some beast eyelashes right there. <laughs> Here's the wisdom on this. Those extensions, rip them out right now. <laughs> we being legalistic next week, I want to see no extensions in the eyes. See, the heart is where most of this starts. Right? Daydreaming. It might not be physical. It may just be emotional. Maybe this person doesn't even know about how you're feeling in your own heart, what you're thinking in your own head. But it's the desires that you have entertained. Let me give you a piece of advice that I've learned over the years to protect my heart. Confess your desires. Confess your desires. Listen, there is a difference between temptation and sin. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is, Justin, you should look at porn right now. Sin is me daydreaming about a movie a porn movie that I once saw, and letting it fester and be in my head. That's the difference between sin and temptation. Temptation is, Justin, you should go flirt with that girl right now. Sin is, man, I wonder what kind of life we would lead together. I wonder what she looks like undressed. That's sin, where I allow the temptation to come into my mind, to come into my heart, and let it fester, and then think about it, because As we read in James, when it starts, all sin originates from the desire of the heart before it manifests itself into the actions of the person. And so we have to guard our hearts. And the best way I've found to guard my heart is to confess my desires. Even if it's just a temptation, I will call my accountability partner and I will say, this is a recurring temptation that I'm finding myself in. Because if this is a recurring temptation that I'm finding myself in, that means that the enemy who is seeking who he may devour thinks that this is a weakness of mine and I want to confess that and get ahead of it before it becomes a sin of mine. Don't wait for someone to ask before you confess. That's another thing. We try to pass the buck of responsibility. That, oh, nobody asked me about this, so I'm not going to confess about it. Do not wait. I used to use that excuse All the time, well, nobody cares about me if I'm sinning or not, so I'm just not going to tell them. Papa, nobody cares because it's about your soul, not theirs. We're all trying to worry about our old soul right now. And so I had to learn 
even if nobody's asking, it's like that new meme that's going around. No one, no one at all, me. Yo, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm about to sin right now. <laughs> like that's how it has to be when we deal with temptation. That to guard our heart, we have to say, this is what's going on in my heart. That even before, let's say we're giving in, it's like before the act. I have called people like, bro, I want to watch porn. And I know I shouldn't. Before it happens, catch it. Guard your heart. Before it ever becomes an action, it will germinate in your heart as a seed. The fourth piece of wisdom is this. Think about the consequences. In chapter 6, verse 27, it says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. Porn's long-term consequences are it rewires your brain around intimacy. This is in study after study now is beginning to reveal how porn long-term affects intimacy for men and women. Where some of the side effects is you will have a hard time being aroused. You shame your partner into unrealistic expectations. We talked about that. These are long-term consequences. Uninterest in your spouse, which is a, a big one. Think about the consequences. This is literally something that will help you, that um, a therapist will help you do. If there's a habit that you're trying to break, a therapist will ask you, what are, what's, the worst, what's the worst thing that will happen if somebody found out about this? Right? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to think about the consequences. Because a lot of times, a consequence, when you fully realize it, will stop you from, get, from doing something dumb. Right? A consequence, right? I, I know nothing about guns. I'm a city boy, and so I won't carry a gun because a consequence that I think about is I may accidentally shoot myself in the leg. Right, that is a consequence. Now, ask me about knives. That's another story. You all know about my history. It's a joke. But these are, con like, as an adult, we learn consequences for our actions. So we have to start training our mind to understand and to know the consequences, the long-term consequences. Adultery, this, this one says, it literally, for the next ten verses, it, it talks about the physical consequences of adultery. And essentially it's saying... If you do this, money is not going to save you. Bribes won't save you because the person that you crossed is going to come for your blood. They're going to want to kill you. The person that you've crossed is going to come. And this is another great point of differentiation of Christian theology is that forgiveness and consequences are different. Forgiveness and consequences are different. God's forgiveness does not always mean being absolved from the consequences of your actions. God can forgive us for something that we've done. If I murdered somebody and I'm in jail, God can forgive me for that, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't serve my sentence in jail for murder. Forgiveness and consequences do not always go hand in hand. And a lot of times we get mad at God because we expect forgiveness to absolve us from the consequences of what we've done. No, what you learn about it is God, forgive me. But I know you do that, but please have mercy on me, because I know you don't have to. Please have mercy on me. 
But if you choose not to, thank you for your forgiveness because ultimately what I care about is my relationship with you. And the fifth and last piece of wisdom is this, don't be naive. Ending off these three chapters, Proverbs says this in chapter 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. And as an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. The wisdom of this world may tell you certain things. It's good for you to watch porn. It's good for you to release on a regular basis. Find someone who makes you happy, even if that means breaking your current covenant. Your spouse isn't fulfilling you. Well, guess what? Find someone else. It's their fault anyway. Culture will always come up with excuses to fulfill its own desires. But here's the thing. Do not be naive. You will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Do not be naive. Do not think that just because it says this on TV or I read this on the internet or my friend told me this or this is what everybody else is doing. Don't think that because of that, that that changes the truth of scripture. Do not be naive. Go into what you're about to do with your eyes wide open, knowing the consequences full well of what you are doing. But here's the thing, though. God's people will fail. We see this example in Scripture over and over again. That's one of the things I love about the Bible is nobody is perfect. Noah was dancing drunk and naked. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because of anger issues. David, the man who was called a man after God's own heart, fell into lust and committed adultery. When he did that, he wrote a psalm, Psalm 51. And I can't tell you how many times I read Psalm 51. What Jesus does is when he defines adultery as lust, that means if you're single or you're married, you can fall into this sin. What he does is he increases our need for him. See, condemnation will tell us this. Condemnation will say to us, see, there is no hope. You're going to sin. You, you are always going to sin. Just give up. Run away. There is no hope for your life. I don't know how many times I can tell you I sat down and said, I don't want to be with God. I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to pray because I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of falling into sin. I'm tired of this habit, and I'm just never going to get over it. That is condemnation. It pushes me away from the grace of God. But what conviction does is conviction will tell us, see, Jesus is your only answer. Conviction will say to you, see, if you are only closer to him, if you only call upon his forgiveness now, if you confess, you will be healed. Be close to him and you will be like him. 
What you have learned from this failure is yet once again that you cannot be prideful in your own strength, but you should be humble and, and broken before the throne of God and go to him in all things because there is grace waiting for you to be forgiven, to be healed, and to be made whole by the power of his spirit. See, what I want to invite you to do today is not to run away and think, man, how bad I am, I cannot be in this place. But instead think how bad I am, how in need of a savior I am today. How much more I should run to this place. This church is not a church of people that are perfect. This church is a place of sinners that realize their desperate need for Jesus. This church is a place that says, I will not have it perfect. There was only one man who came and was perfect. And guess what? He died. He rose again so that I can live through his death and his resurrection and be one with God. And so what I'm going to invite you to do today, congregation, is I'm going to invite you into something that I've done in my journey, which is a out loud recitation of Psalm 51. I would read this out loud, and then I would pray, and I would worship. And so I'm going to invite you all to stand. And I'm going to invite you into my journey with this and to something that I have done countless times in my life. As I've read this psalm and thought about the goodness of God and how much I don't deserve his mercy. And yet every breath, every day, It's just a gift from him for me. Who am I that he would still love me after I've walked away from him so many times? It says in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inner being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret part. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take me, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Father, forgive us. Lord, I thank you that today I get to teach transgressors your ways. And that is part of the story of my life. God, I pray that you restore to us the joy of our salvation. God, I prayed this so many times. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. 